Hey, for all the men, just, bef- just before we get going, um, man, I really hope to see you this Saturday. So the men's breakfast, uh, Lee Ridings, you're not going to want to miss that and the, the testimony that he has. And as Craig said, if you have any, anybody that you want to bring with you, particularly any lost friends, um, they'll get the gospel and, and his salvation testimony and then what God did with his life after he got saved uh, is worthy to hear and I think um, will be applicable to anybody that, that could be there. So uh, don't, don't miss that. I, I need you guys there. So come out uh, this Saturday at 8 a.m. Okay, so with that said, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, why don't you go ahead and open up to the book of Acts. Open, open up to the book of Acts. Today is an exciting day, at least it is for me, because we're kicking off our, this new sermon series out of this New Testament book. And you might be less excited than me, but that's okay. I'll, you know, we'll, we'll work to get you there. The, 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 the theme for this series is passion for the mission. So we'll see if we can get you more passionate uh, about what we're going to be talking about uh, through the course of this series. And we're going to see what we can learn from these first century Christians and about how to invigorate our own personal and our collective passion for the mission that God has given us. Now, today's message is just an introduction. We're not even going to get into the individual verses of the book yet. We'll hit, an, we'll hit a number of them individually, but we're not going to start on Acts chapter 1, verse 1, and, and on for, for a couple weeks. Uh, but we're going to do an introduction today. So I've titled this sermon, Let's Get Our Acts Straight, um, so we can make sure that we're all on the same page. So th- again, this, this, this message is going to be a little different. We're just going to try to lay a foundation from which we'll launch uh, in the coming weeks. So, so hopefully, uh, by the end of today, you will have a better handle on this book how it fits in the overall canon of Scripture, and then where we're going in this series. So, a very different type of message. These, these are fun messages to do, but, but they're different than the normal, you know, once we get into the, the groove of going verse by verse. Now, if you were here three weeks ago, on January 8th, you might remember that that was our Vision Sunday. Now, you might have been here and not remember that that was our Vision Sunday, or remember that sermon at all, that, so that's Okay. Uh, but in that sermon, setting the vision for the year, I told you that there isn't a new vision. In fact, we went through our mission, vision, and strategy back in the fall, so we're not going to change anything you know, from, from four months ago. We haven't changed anything at all. We know what our mission is. We know what the vision is. But what I did tell you was that for, for 2023, this is the year, this is the time for us to dive deeper and to dive deeper together. So everything we're doing this year, everything we're doing in our services is intentional and is strategic towards that end. And that starts with our 9 a.m. through the Bible series. And this is very important and it's, it's very intentional that we're all doing this together, together in order to get a deeper handle on our Bible and how it's put together. So I know a bunch of you are coming. That is awesome. If you haven't shown up to 9 a.m., I encourage you to come. Be a part of that. Be a part of what we're doing together, diving deeper into the Bible. That's what our prayer nights are all about. Craig just talked about those. We have one next week. All of us together lifting up our voices, begging the Lord to work in and through us, expressing our total dependence upon Him. And so If you've not been a part of those, I I encourage you to do that. That's what our life groups are about, getting together in a a more intimate way even and breaking down a larger church into smaller groups and living that life together. So if you're not a part of a life group, I encourage you 
to come join one as well. But then this new book study, going through the book of Acts, is designed toward that same end. It's designed to drive us into a deeper faith, into a deeper passion for the mission. You know, we're, for the most part, as we go through this book verse by verse, we'll be taking a, a very practical look at it. Um, and I'm praying that, that we'll both be encouraged and challenged by it. Because, you know, we, we say this all the time, but we say it because we believe it. And I believe we're in the last days. And I get it. I know people have been saying that for years. But one of these days, we're going to be right. And I think I'm right right now. I can't imagine. Like, seriously, how in the world uh, can it keep going? We're in the last days, and, and that means we do not have time to waste. We need to be about our Father's business, and we need to be about it now. And we need to untie ourselves from the, distraction of this, the distractions of this world. That was one of the main focuses of the last series, Family Portraits, that we went through, to, just to see the world as it is, to untie ourselves from that, to set our mind solely on the mission, to be solely focused. We need our mind on the mission and the mission on our mind. Because as James 1.8 says, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. And I think I put this next sentence in your outline sheet. I, I, I believe double-minded is one of the great descriptions of Laodicea. It's one of the great descriptions of Laodicea. That's the, the, the time in which we live. And this double-minded thinking, being in the world and, and in the church, all of this, this double-minded thinking has led to unstable Christians and unstable churches, ones that are not grounded and secure in their footing in God's Word. And, and listen, being grounded in God's Word and having His mind is so important, especially in these last days. Because according to Paul, that is how we will be unashamed and unblameable at the judgment seat of Christ. He said in Colossians 1.23, it will only happen if you continue in the faith grounded and settled and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which ye have heard and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister. And that's what we're trying to drive towards, being grounded and not moved away from what is truly important in this life, what is truly important for our lives. And that's, that's the hope of the gospel. Both in our lives and in the lives of those around us. Being about the mission, having a passion for what God has called us to do. And I believe this study through the book of Acts will help us do just that, help us drive towards that. So before we get into the details and the overview of this book, let me go ahead and, and open up in a word of prayer, and then we'll, we'll get into break it down a little bit. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you this morning um, excited to hear from you and, and excited to hear uh, from your word. And so, Lord, I pray that, that you do that. I pray that you speak today. I pray that you speak very clearly. Um, I pray that you move me out of the way and that, that your Holy Spirit gets, is able to communicate um, what you want communicated this morning. And, and, Lord, I pray that what's said is true to your word. I pray that it honors and glorifies you. And, Lord, I pray it, that we set a foundation for where we're headed. And, 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 Lord, that you will work in each and every one of our hearts to, to challenge us, to encourage us to a deeper dive and, and a more passionate approach to the mission that you've given us. So, Lord, be with us this morning and teach us as only you can. We ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Okay, so, so as I've already said, today 
we're just going to begin to get into it. We're just going to kind of do an introduction, kind of set the stage for what is all ahead uh, in, the, in this series. The book of Acts is certainly one of, if not the key book in the New Testament, certainly to understand in the New Testament. Now, it's, it's a book that has to be understood properly because it's also a very dangerous book. It's a dangerous book that, that, that you can get into some real trouble if you're not careful and if you don't understand what's being said. So first of all, our first point this, this morning is, is we need to understand the position. We need to understand the position of the book of Acts. And what I mean by that is, quite literally, you need to understand the position it holds in the canon of Scripture. So where do we find it? We find it immediately after the four Gospels and immediately before the Pauline epistles. So it's between the Gospels and the book of Romans, which is the first of the Pauline epistles, those letters of Paul that are written to the church. So Acts is between those two key sections of the New Testament. So this book holds a very important position. And it tells a very important story. And we get what that story is from the name of the book. And we normally just just call it Acts, but that's actually not the complete name of the book. Look there, what, what's it say the name of the book is? It's the Acts of the Apostles. That's the complete name, and that, that's important. It's important to understand what we're talking about here. And it's quite appropriately named. That description is actually exactly what we see. Over 28 chapters, more than 1,000 verses, and nearly 25,000 words. What the apostles of Jesus Christ did after his resurrection and before their deaths. So that means this book is unique. It's unique in its application to the first century. And it's unique in its application to the apostles of Jesus Christ. It is the Acts of the Apostles. And that makes this book primarily, point A, a book of history. Primarily, it makes this, this book a book of history. You need to understand this. Again, if, if you don't understand the position of the book and what God is communicating in the book, you can get yourself in some trouble. So Acts is primarily a history book and not a doctrinal book for the church. It tells us what the apostles did. Not necessarily what we are supposed to do. And if we try to pull much doctrine from this book and apply it to today, we're going to get into some murky waters very quickly. We'll talk about that specifically in our next point and certainly as we go throughout the series. But what we can glean from this book is what God was doing after the resurrection during the development and the establishment of the church, of the body of Christ. And what he was doing, he was doing through the apostles. Paul tells us that the church as the household of God was built on the foundation of the apostles of Jesus Christ. In Ephesians chapter 9, or I'm sorry, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through 22, Paul says, Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye are also builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. You see, through Christ, the Old Testament rules, the law was done away with. Christ fulfilled the law. 
He came from the beginning of his ministry, letting Israel know that was part of his purpose. Matthew 5.17 says, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I'm not come to destroy, but to fulfill. And Christ was absolutely the fulfillment of the law. Paul confirmed it, Romans chapter 8, verses 3 and 4, For what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us as with Christ in us who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. So what happens after Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, after the, he fulfills the law, something new was born. And that was the body of Christ built upon the chief cornerstone, Jesus, and the foundation of the apostles. So in Acts, we get to see the foundation of the church being built in history. Again, this is a, it's a history book. And in the specific point in history, in that first century, we get to read through this book the foundation of the church being built. It's pretty amazing. It's incredible. It's very important. And then we get to watch the spread of the gospel throughout the nations. It is very cool to see those early Christians live out the Great Commission that God gave them, Matthew 28, after the resurrection, before his ascension in that time frame. And then, and then we get into the book of Acts, and, and his last physical appearance to them gives them this uh, sort of a retelling of the Great Commission. This brings us to what is generally considered the key verse in the book of Acts, and that's Acts 1.8. Many of you have it memorized. It says, but ye shall receive power. This is Jesus speaking to, to who? His apostles. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, both in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and in Samaria and in the uttermost part of the earth. So in those last words, literally the last words of, of Jesus on the earth, in verse 9 we see his ascension, he doubles down on the mission mandate of his followers, his disciples. And Acts 1.8 is an important verse for that reason, but also because it, it serves as an index for this entire book. It's, it's sort of interesting. And I say that because not only is Acts a book of history, it is also a book of transition. It's, this is very important. Acts is a book of transition. So we know the position of the book between the Gospels and the Pauline epistles. And that position is important because that, mean, that means that Acts transitions us from an Old Testament economy into the New Testament, right? The Gospels are still primarily through, through Jesus' life. Right? If you just look at the book of Matthew, the crucifixion is until Matthew 27. There's 28 chapters in that book. And so we're still in an Old Testament economy. So the Gospels are really still Old Testament. I mean, I understand their, their position in the New Testament, but, but they're under, we're still under the law during that time. It's still an Old Testament economy. And then Acts transitions us into the New Testament. It transitions us from the Jew to the Gentile. From Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. From the kingdom of heaven to the kingdom of God, if you know what that means. It bridges the gap from an entirely Jewish New Testament church in Jerusalem unto the Gentile church, initially based out of Antioch, the bride of Christ. 
It transitions from the letter of the law to the spirit of grace. From the sign gifts on full display to the functions of the enduring edification gifts of the spirit. And we'll show you all of that as we move through this book. But it's important to know that Acts is a transition book. And as a transition book, we have to be very careful how we interpret it. Again, you're going to hear, I've already said that a few times, you'll hear me say it more. Because if we apply all of it, if we just take the book of Acts and we apply it doctrinally to the church, we get in real trouble very, very quickly from the very first chapter. I mean, if we were to apply the book of Acts doctrinally to us, when we pick our next set of deacons and our next ministry leaders, we need to cast lots to figure out who the right guys are. Well, we're not doing that. Chapter 2, we'd, we'd learned that it was okay to speak in tongues and that baptism is necessary for salvation. Neither of those are correct for us. They were perfectly fine and valid in Acts chapter 2. Not today. You see, this is a dangerous book. And you have to understand its transitional nature or you put yourself in peril. And we've told you this many times before. I've even included this on an outline sheet before, but, uh, but it's important because we're going through the book of Acts for me to say it again. It's worth repeating. All of the Bible is written for you, but it's not all written to you. Okay, you have to understand that. Of, of course, all of the Bible is written for us, for our learning, for our edification, but it's not all written to us. There's, there's three groups that we see in the Bible, right? We have the Jew, the Gentile, and the church. We learned that from the book of 1 Corinthians. And there's specific messages that God has for those individual groups. The most all, not, not all, but most all of the Old Testament is written to Israel. It's written to the Jew. It's not written to us. Not all of the New Testament is written to us. Obviously, a big chunk of it is. So we can only apply direct doctrinal context to, to, to the books that were written to us. And we know, we'll, and we'll talk more about it, those are the books of Paul. So, so think of it this way, just, just to give you kind of a, a practical example. Let's say Lisa puts a note on Johnny's desk, but Ralph sees it before Johnny does and he, and he steals it. And he opens up the note. And, and it's, Lisa's telling Johnny that she's pretty fond of him and she wants to meet him after school, you know, behind the school and give him a kiss. And Johnny, no, so Ralph, Ralph, you know, thinks Lisa's pretty cute. And so he doesn't tell Johnny and he shows up behind the school after school ends. Well, Lisa shows up and she slaps him in the face because that, that note wasn't for, that, that wasn't for Ralph. That note was for Lee. Ralph thought he was going to get away with it. Of course he's not going to get away with it. But that's what so many false teachers do today. They try to steal God's, you know, kisses, so to speak. You understand what I'm saying. His, his kisses for the nation of Israel from the Old Testament, and they try to steal them for themselves today. And all of those physical promises that God blessed to Israel, they try to say, oh, that, that, that's for us today. No, it's not. Or they try to take passages from New Testament books like Matthew, like Acts, that are not intended to be applied in a direct doctrinal fashion to the New Testament local church. And they apply them in a direct fashion to the local New Testament church. Hey, no, you're, you're stealing things that don't belong to you. 
So we have to know and we have to understand what does belong to us and what doesn't. So you must interpret and apply the Bible in light of the truth that God gave you, that, that God gave us. So for you and me, it's the Pauline epistles, that is Romans through Philemon. So we don't build a church, we don't build church doctrine from the book of Acts. We do that from the book of Romans, which is the first book written to the church after the transition is complete. Right, the very next book, Acts into Romans. But that does not mean that Acts is unimportant for the church. No, it's very important. We definitely need to understand it. It is the foundation. We just have to understand the breakdown. So like I told you a minute ago, the book of Acts can be indexed by Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. And here is what I mean by that. The apostles were told to go both Jerusalem, where they're from, and then to, to Judea, that's, you know, the outside of, uh, still Israel, but outside of Jerusalem, to Samaria, that's half Jew and half Gentile, and the uttermost, that's all Gentile. And so you can outline the book of Acts that way. In Acts 1 through 7, we see the, the apostles pretty much just staying put. They're right there in Jerusalem. The church is Jerusalem. And the focus at the beginning of the book is still all Jewish. Just a careful reading of Scripture tells us this right from the beginning. Because as the book begins, right, Jesus has been crucified, he's been resurrected, he's, he's been seen by the apostles, over 500 witnesses. Now the apostles are gathered together in Jerusalem, awaiting for the promise of the Holy Ghost. And Jesus is with them that last time physically on earth. And look at the question that they ask him. We find it in Acts chapter 1, verse 6. This is the question they have for Jesus. When they therefore were come together, they ask of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? You see the question they're asking? The apostles wanted to know if the literal, visible reign of Jesus Christ would happen at that time. And it was legitimate for them to look for it. But Jesus doesn't answer them. Look at verse 7. And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put into his own power. You see, he doesn't answer them. Because he doesn't know. Well, he does know. Of course he knows because he's God. But he is giving them one more chance. He doesn't give the Israel a clear answer because he's given them another chance. God the Father, they reject him. Obviously, they crucified the Messiah. But on the cross in Luke 23, 34, it says, Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his, garment, his raiment. And cast lots. And God the Father is answering that prayer of his son on the cross. And he's given them one more chance. And we don't actually see the answer to the question of Acts 1-6 until later in the book. Until they have rejected him for good. Until they've rejected him for good. And we see that final rejection of the, of the offer of the kingdom through the the. the through the Messiah, Jesus, that final rejection with the stoning of Stephen in Acts chapter 7. 
And listen, the literal, physical kingdom could have been restored to Israel under the leadership of a returned Christ had they accepted Stephen's message. Okay, now listen, let me say something here for a second. I know I'm, 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 I'm throwing some things at you that for some of you, you may be like, I don't have any idea what that man up there is saying and what he is talking about. He is talking about a kingdom of heaven and yet the kingdom of heaven is on earth and the literal and who's this Stephen guy and they crucified him but there's another chance. Listen, just stick with me, okay? You're going to leave, if, if that's you, you're going to leave today still a little bit confused. But it's okay. It's all right. What you need to do is you need to keep coming. So what you need to do is not be discouraged by that. In fact, you need to be encouraged to keep coming because you can learn. We're going to teach you all of this. We're going to teach you how this book breaks down, how important it is. And so I'm laying the foundation. There's many people in here that have been through MTT, LFBI, all of that, and they're tracking with me. There's many people that are tracking with me. But there's many that I'm sure aren't. And I'm aware of that. I want you to know that I'm aware of that. And I want you to know that it's okay. You just need to take it in today. Just soak it in. And God will use that. Just put it in your storage banks. I'm sure you have more than I do. Put it in your storage banks up there. And God will use that as we go through this book. I promise you. Okay, so this, this physical, literal kingdom could have been restored to Jesus under, the lead, if the, if, under his leadership if they had accepted Stephen's message. And we know that because I'm going to show you a verse. Christ is standing at the right hand of God during Stephen's message to Israel we see that in Acts 7, verse 55. But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, this is Stephen, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God. And I'm not, again, I'm not going to take the time now. We don't have the time now to tell you what all that means. But Acts chapter 7 is going to be a really fun study. That's going to be a really fun study when we get there. But what we see here at the end of Acts chapter 7 is Israel rejected the message of Stephen. And this is interesting, and, and, and again, we, you know, we don't have all the time to do it all today. But Israel rejected God by rejecting the message of three men. They rejected John the Baptist and, and killed him. They rejected Jesus himself and killed him. And they rejected Stephen in Acts chapter 7 and killed him. Just like they rejected God the Father in the Old Testament... God the Son in the Gospels, and they reject God the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts. Complete rejection across the board. So things change. So we see a change. And we see a transition begin in Acts chapter 8 and verse 1. And that says, and Saul was consenting unto his death. We'll come back to that. And Saul was consenting unto his death, and at that time there was a great persecution against the church, which was in Jerusalem. Right? Remember Acts 1.8. We're indexing the book. Chapters 1 through 7, Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of where? Judea and Samaria. Except the apostles. The, those core 12 stayed back in Jerusalem. But now we're seeing this transition. So we're seeing Acts 1.8 play out. So we start in Jerusalem. Now we see the followers of Jesus moving out into Judea and Samaria and extending beyond Jerusalem like Acts 1.8 tells them. Now, we see here they're kind of forced to. 
based on the persecution, right? They didn't necessarily just, you know, jump on this on their own and go, you know, charge out. But they do it. So again, Acts 1.8 is indexing this for us. So this next section is Acts 8 through 12. So 1 through 7, Jerusalem, Acts 8 through 12. We see this, they're moving into the regions of Judea and Samaria. And this section is kind of a transition within the transition book. There's sort of layers to this transition. Because in the midst of that section, we see the salvation of a man by the name of Saul. Right? At the beginning of 8.1, we see that Saul was consenting unto the death of Stephen. Saul was there and overseeing it. And then we see the salvation of Saul in Acts chapter 9 on the road to Damascus. And Saul becomes Paul, who is the apostle to the Gentiles. And so things begin to shift. And things begin to change. And the main city of focus moves out of Jerusalem. And, and we see it moving to a, a place called Antioch. In, in this 8 through 12 section. We see a very interesting verse in Acts chapter 11, verse 26, that says, and, and when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people, and the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. So now we have Christians. There were no Christians to be found anywhere in the first seven chapters of the book of Acts. Something has changed. And then we move on. So we have this 8 through 12. We have this little transition. And then starting in chapter 13 through the rest of the book, Paul, Saul, who becomes Paul, takes center stage. And we get to experience his three missionary journeys as he takes the message of gospel, of the gospel where? To the uttermost. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. And the uttermost. And that's what Paul does. And the book ends in Acts 28, 31. Look at what it says, Paul. And, and I'm sure the other followers of Jesus were doing. They were preaching the kingdom of God and teaching those things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no man forbidding him. And by the end of the book of Acts, the transition, for the most part, is complete. And then as we move through Scripture, the canon of Scripture, what do we move into next? We move into the book of Romans. And so now the church today is ready for doctrine in Romans. Now, and again, you know, again, if you're not understanding, if you're not sticking with me, it's okay. Keep coming. I promise you, we're, be prayerful, and, and God will, through this series, God will open your eyes to some really amazing things. And take you to some places um, that you haven't been before with him. So, so you got to stick with, it, with us. So it's important to understand the position of the book. You have to understand that it's primarily a history book, talking about what those apostles did, and it's primarily a transition book, transitioning us from the Old Testament to the New Testament, from, from the Jew to the Gentile, from Israel to the church. Okay, so that's our first point. Second, we need to understand the players. So we understand, we've put the position in, in some context and in some light. Now we understand the players. Of course, there are many characters. There are many individuals throughout the book of Acts. But really, there are two primary players that we're going to discuss. I'm going to give you a bonus third one, actually, right here, right here at the beginning. We're going to start with the bonus character. But there's really two primary characters that we need to look at um, in this book. But the bonus, the, the, the third one that we're going to discuss, the bonus character, that's the author of the book, and that's Luke. Luke is the author 
of the book of Acts. And, and there are some folks, there are some textual critics that would argue this conclusion, but there's no doubt that Luke is the author. I mean, I won't even take the time to prove it to you other than to just compare Acts 1-1 with Luke 1-3 with you, and, and you can make your own judgment. Acts 1-1 starts, it says, The former treatise I have made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began to do and teach. And so he's, he's addressing this guy, Theophilus. And back in Luke chapter 1 and verse 3, as he's starting that book, it says, Luke says, It seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first to write unto thee in order, most excellent Theophilus. So they're both written to Theophilus. Acts 1.1, he calls the gospel of Luke the former treatise, or a treatise is just a written work. So he refers back to the gospel in Acts Luke 1.1. So in a sense, I mean obviously there's a reason why they're two separate books, very intentionally and purposefully, but in a sense you could, you could read Luke as part one and Acts as part two. And they're both clearly written by Luke. And Luke, we know to be a physician. We know Luke to be someone that was very dear to the Apostle Paul. And Colossians 4.14 says, Luke, the beloved physician. And demons greet you. And we talked about uh, that word beloved some last week and that close attachment that that means. Luke was very close to Paul. And in fact, Luke was faithful to Paul until the very end. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, we were in 2 Timothy last week, the very last book Paul wrote, the very last chapter, verses 9 through 11, says, Do thy diligence, he's talking to Timothy, Paul is, do thy diligence to come shortly unto me, for Demoth hath forsaken me, he was mentioned back in Colossians, in Colossians 4, having loved this present world, and has departed unto Thessalonica, Crescens to Galatia, Titus unto Dalmatia, they're about, they haven't forsaken him, but they're doing ministry in other parts. Look at verse 11. He says, only Luke is with me. Take Mark and bring him with, with thee, for he's profitable to be for the ministry. And so I point out Luke as one of the key players because, first of all, he was one of the original 12. He was the, uh, the apostle of Jesus, and, then, and he was one person that stayed with Paul until the end. He stayed with Paul until the end. So that means he's the best person to tell the story. He was there from the beginning to the end. And he was there with our next key player, and that's Peter. And Peter is the key man in the first seven chapters of the book of Acts, and he was still around. We find him still around through chapter 12, and that's because Peter was the apostle to the Jews. We find this verse in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 7. Paul speaking here says, But contrarywise, when they saw that the gospel of the uncircumcision was committed unto me, as the gospel of the circumcision was unto Peter. The gospel to the Jews, the gospel of the kingdom, the circumcision, that was given to Peter. The gospel to the uncircumcision, to Gentiles, that was given to Paul. And as we've already talked about, how the, those, the first part of the book of Acts, those first seven chapters in particular, they're all focused on the Jews. The gospel of the kingdom, the literal, physical kingdom of heaven. And Peter was the man leading that charge. And in chapter 1, he was the one to, leading to determine the apostle that was going to take Judas' place. In chapter 2, Peter was the man who was preaching the sermon on the day of Pentecost. In chapter 3, Peter was the man who, who healed the lame man. In chapter 4, Peter along with John, they're boldly preaching to the point of arrest. 
And it goes on from there. Peter was the key character in those first seven chapters of the book of Acts. And then after the stoning of Stephen, we saw in Acts chapter 8, verse 1, that at the stoning of Stephen, that Saul was consenting unto his death. There's some foreshadowing there. But we have a few more chapters as, this, as we see this transition occurring and, and a new character takes over. And after chapter 12, there's only one mention of Peter in the remainder of the book of Acts. There's only one mention, and that's Acts 15.7. And it's Peter acknowledging that a change was taking place in their midst. Acts chapter 15 and verse 7, it says, And when there had been much disputing, Peter rose up and said unto them, Men and brethren, you know how that a good while ago God made choice among us, that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believed. This is the last mention of Peter after Acts chapter 12. And he's acknowledging that God's entire program was now open to the Gentiles. And if Peter was the apostle to the Jews, who was the apostle to the Gentiles? We know this. There's a guy that authored Galatians 2.7 that we read earlier, and that was Paul. Again, originally named Saul. So Paul is our third key player. And, and Paul was consenting unto Jesus' death. And he was confronted by the Lord himself on the road to Damascus in chapter 9. And that, you know, again, is still a time of transition, so his salvation story is much different than yours and mine, but he was saved nonetheless. And he and Barnabas are called out as missionaries at the beginning of chapter 13. And over the next nine chapters through 21, Paul goes on three missionary journeys and, and takes the gospel to the uttermost. Takes it around the world. And the book of Acts ends with Paul's imprisonment. Right, Those last, last you know, seven chapters dealing with Paul's imprisonment. Uh, his initial imprisonment in Rome and, and, and that, whole, that whole process. And it's quite a story. So the book of Acts can roughly be divided into the ministry of Peter, ending in Acts chapter 12, and the ministry of Paul, from Acts chapter 13 to the end. In the first part, again, Jerusalem is the center. In the second part, Antioch is the center. In the first part, Peter is a prominent figure. In the second part, Paul is a prominent figure. In the first part, there is a very slow and resistant reaching out movement from Jerusalem through Judea to Samaria. and the second part, there's a far-reaching, fast-moving movement from Antioch through the empire to Rome. So they had very different ministries, but they were both men of God and used by God in mighty ways. And we're going to follow them and their acts throughout this series. So those are some of the nuts and bolts of the book. But for our, for our last point, I want to transition us to the practical side and really talk about what this series is going to be about. And as I've already mentioned multiple times, that is having a passion for the mission, like those apostles did. So our last point this morning is that we need to understand the passion. So we've, we've kind of explained the position, the players, and now we need to understand the passion. What was it that drove these guys to give their lives for the mission? And when I say that, I, I mean it very literally, because they all died for it. They all died standing for Christ. And they had a passion. And it's a passion that needs to be passed on to us. That is a passion that we need to find. I, I, I so desire for us to be like them in, in, in many ways. 
Listen to what it said of them in Acts chapter 17 and verse 6. And when they were found them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren under the rulers of the city, crying, These that have turned the world upside down are come hither also. Don't you want to be a part of something like that? Something that turns the world upside down? And maybe you think that's too lofty, but how about we turn New Philadelphia upside down? How about we turn Dover upside down? Can we be a part of that? I want us to be. But if that's going to be said of us, there are a couple requirements that we need to learn from these first century followers of Jesus. And the first is that we need to be changed by his presence. We need to be changed by his presence. You see, every one of these guys has spent intimate time with the Lord. And they were changed by it. And one of my favorite verses in this entire book is Acts 4.13. It says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled. And they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. And I just love that verse because that is me. And I know I don't have to tell you this is pretty obvious on the surface, but there's nothing special about me. But I can absolutely say this. I've been with Jesus. And I'm saved. And I know that there is hope. And I know that I can be bold in my faith. And listen, that is the main thing that we need. We need you, we need me to be changed by spending time with Jesus and then just have the boldness to go tell others about it. Listen, that is Paul's story too. I mean, he was the, 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 the chief enemy of the followers of Jesus up until Acts chapter 9. For on that road to Damascus, he met Jesus and it changed his life. It changed everything. But here we are, nearly 2,000 years later, and many folks claim to be saved by the same Jesus that radically changed Paul and those other apostles, but there seems to be little difference in many Christians today. You can't even tell a difference in them from the lost world. I know many people who, are, who say they are saved, but their life honestly does not show it. And there's no excitement about God. There's no excitement about spiritual things. There's no interest or involvement in the mission. And from a spiritual perspective, they live their lives hopeless and joyless, discouraged and silent. And so they live like Jesus is dead. And listen, when you do that, man, the, the mission does not go forth. And there are other people, maybe even some, that come to this church and they hear the testimonies that other folks have about Jesus and they hear the reports of what God's doing in their life or in their ministry, but listen, they don't have a testimony themselves. And they've heard the rumors, but they don't know personally for sure. And so they don't have a personal message to give out. They can only talk about what they've heard. Listen, Jesus is just as real today as he was in the first century. So why are we different? Or, or, or maybe I should say it this way. Why are we so indifferent? Indifferent to the mission, indifferent to the cause of Christ. Caught up in everything else that the world has to offer. We need to be changed by his presence in a very real way, in a very practical way. Those apostles were never the same and their life showed it. 
But there's another requirement that we need to learn from them and in order to have a, 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 this, the passion for the mission. And that is we need to be convinced of his power. You see, we need to see him for who he is. And that's, what, that's my prayer as we move through the book of Acts. That you'll see him for who he is and the power that he has. And be convinced in your heart that he is the only answer for the world. And because if we believe that, we'll share it. These apostles were absolutely convinced of his power. And we see that in the dramatic change in their life. There's a dramatic change between the gospel. If you just take the author Luke, there's a dramatic change between the gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. There's an obvious transformation in their lives. I want you to think about this for a minute. You see, the gospel of Luke concludes, quite honestly, with bewildered apostles, fearing apostles, hiding apostles, confused apostles, reluctant preachers of Christ. Even Peter denied him. And, and then, obviously, they see the resurrection. And, of course, that energizes them. And, and they, they, they receive the coming of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2. And, of course, that explains a great measure of the transformation of these apostles. But as you enter the book of Acts, you still wonder what the future of these men will be, whether they will be bold or whether they will be cowards. But as soon as you get into the book of Acts, you find that they are not only bold, they are outrageously courageous. Something very dramatic has happened in their lives. And again, of course, they saw the resurrection, but, but they don't get the Holy Spirit until Acts chapter 2, and, and they're bold from the beginning. So there's another element to this transformation that I think is sometimes overlooked and I think plays an equally critical role in the transformation of these men. These men who were cowards, who were hiding in fear of their lives, they're all of a sudden boldly preaching in the city of Jerusalem, in the open streets, even in the temple, the very domain or the leaders of Israel, of the domain of the leaders of Israel who had killed Jesus. And, and listen, like, especially in those first chapters, they're not only preaching a coming kingdom, they're indicting the rulers of Israel for killing the Messiah. And this dramatic transformation of these men of, oh, ye of little faith association, to these emboldened, empowered, courageous preachers who hold nothing back has occurred because of one other critical reality, and that is for the first time, they now really have a true handle on God's word. And they understood the big picture, and it rocked their world. Because they had spent the entire Gospels somewhat confused about who Jesus was, because they were confused about the Old Testament, and they were looking for a coming king. And they knew some things. You know, Peter would say the right thing, and then he'd turn right around and say the wrong thing and get lumped in with Satan. That's how Peter rolled. But they spent much of their time confused. For example, Luke chapter 9, verses 43 and 45 says, And they were all amazed at the mighty power of God. But while they pondered every one at all these things which Jesus did, he said unto his disciples, Let these sayings sink down into your ears, for the Son of Man shall be delivered unto the hands of men. But they understood not this saying, and it was hid from, it was hid from them. They perceived it not, and they feared to ask him of that saying. They didn't, they didn't even want to ask him. Like, what do you mean? Like, you're the, if you're the Messiah, you're the king, right? They're confused. 
When Jesus talked about his death, they never got it. Luke chapter 18, verses 31 through 34. And then he took unto them the twelve and said unto them, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man shall be accomplished. For he shall be delivered unto the Gentiles, and shall be mocked, and spitefully entreated, and spitted on, and they shall scourge him, and put him to death. And the third day he shall rise again. And they understood none of these things. And understand any of it. Made no sense whatsoever to them. And this saying was hid from them. Neither knew they the things which were spoken. They just couldn't put it all together. And if you look at the end of the Gospel of John, by the end of that book, some of them are back fishing. Peter's even fishing in the nude. I don't know what that's all about. But, but after Jesus appears to them after the resurrection, these guys be, become convinced of his power. Why? Because he explains it all to them. And they see it in a way they had never seen it before. Look at Luke 24, verses 44 through 45. And he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all these things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the Scriptures. And their mind was blown. And they saw that book like they had never seen it before. Because they saw the power of God through Scripture, through the Old Testament. And so, you know, going back to what I said earlier, if you don't understand everything that I've been saying, it's completely fine. But please keep coming. Because God wants to blow your mind with his word. He wants you to be able to see it in a way that you've never seen it before. And so their eyes were open and they beheld the wondrous things out of his law, just like David prayed in, in Psalm 119, verse 18. And they were never the same. There was no coming back. When they saw this book, when they saw the Old Testament for what it is, what else? They had no other choice but to give their life to it because it's power. It's, it's, it's the words of God contained for us. And once they put it all together, they had a passion for the mission that never left, left them. And this was obvious because everywhere they went preaching, they were quoting the Old Testament, everywhere. It even starts in chapter 1 when it, when it was just them together. In verse 16, Peter said, Men and brethren, this scripture must needs have been fulfilled, which the Holy Ghost, by the mouth of David, spake before concerning Judas, which was a guide to them that took Jesus. Listen, they're going to replace Judas. David's quoting Old Testament scripture pointing to Judas as a betrayer when they, he now even knows that David prophesied about it when Peter preaches in, in chapter 2 at Pentecost he quotes Joel he quotes David again I'd take you through it but we don't have the time but if you look at 2.16 and 2.25 and 2.29 through 31 if you move over to chapter 3 and go through verses 22 through 24 if you go to chapter 4 and look at verses 24 through 25 those are just a few examples Peter quotes Psalm 118 he quotes Psalm 2 he's just quoting Old Testament every time he opens his mouth the one guy who was maybe the most confused is now quoting Old Testament prophetic passages every time he speaks. 
And it just goes on and on. And listen to me. At the point in your life where you finally see the beauty and the depth and the power of this book, you'll never be the same. You'll never be the same. It's not just another book. It's the power of God unto salvation. It's the very words of God for us today. And at the point your eyes are open and you see it for what it is, you will undoubtedly be convinced of his power and you will not be able to contain what you are learning. So if we never get our arms around this book, there's, there's no way we can have a real passion for the mission. But listen, if we do get our hands around this book and understand it as our own, we'll have the passion that God desires of us. That's what it requires. It's not just knowledge that it's important. See, it's not just what you know factually, but it's what you know practically it, the, the, that word is alive in you. Listen, you may be able to quote more scripture than anyone in the church. You may be able to debate the key tenets of theology until you're blue in the face. But if that book isn't real in you, if it isn't alive in you to the point that you are convinced that it is everything, then you still won't be a passionate witness for Christ. And you'll be lacking the passion for the mission that these apostles had. And listen, it all works together because the more time we spend with God, the more we'll be changed by him. And when we spend time with God, we spend it in the pages of his book. And we'll be convinced of his power and excited about Jesus and the mission. The more we'll share that excitement with others, the more we'll seek him. In Psalm 63, we don't even have to read it. I put it there in your outline sheet. And we'll seek him early. And when you go to God's word because you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that it's a living book, and you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that he will meet you in the pages of his word, and you seek him not just for knowledge, just not for your own selfish purposes, but you seek him because you want to be changed by him, and you want to go share that with others, Man, God will honor that, and you will be about the mission. You'll be about his glory through you, through how you go about your life and what you place as a priority. But if you don't see Jesus and if you don't seek him through his living word, then it won't be there. So let's use this study through the book of Acts to change us forever. And let's pray now that we develop a passion for the mission that will turn our homes, our families, our cities, and this world upside down, all for Christ's glory. Let's have every head bowed and every eye closed. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we, we love you and, and we thank you uh, for your word, uh, thankful for this book and, and that we're about to embark on and, and Lord, all that's in it. And, and Lord, I pray that you, your Holy Spirit, takes us through it verse by verse and changes our life in the midst of it and gives us a passion for the mission that, that, that Lord, we've never had before and, Lord, that we won't look back from. And so, Lord, please, please use it in our life. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here today, and we certainly didn't give a gospel message today, but I know uh, what your Holy Spirit can do. If there's anyone here that doesn't know you, Lord, I pray that today that they would, they would give their life over to you. They'd place their faith in your finished work on the cross, and they'd be saved today. Lord, we love you. Uh, we ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.